You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. We're looking at Romans chapter 11, which I really feel is relevant uh, to everything that's happening in our nation today. Next week, we'll, we'll look at the last three verses of Romans chapter 11, which is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Uh, but this week, <clears throat> we're going to look at the first 24 verses. And uh, we're not covering everything, so don't worry. Uh, the ser- my sermon will not be two hours long. Um, nobody's laughing. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Maybe it should be. This is the last service. No, I'm joking. So... We're going to look at chapter, chapter 11, verse 1, and if you have a Bible, you can read along, you can look up at the screen. If you're watching live stream uh, somewhere where you're camped, awesome, find a Bible if you have one, and uh, let's read through the passage, just so you can follow along. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected uh, his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know that the scriptures say of Elijah how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they may fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles. That's us, by the way, in case you haven't noticed. And as much, then, as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation, if the dough of what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, so is the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive root, or olive shoot, that's talking about Gentiles again, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. That's Israel. The olive tree is Israel. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, or if you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. 
but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you. Provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off, or if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word, and I ask that you would just make it clear uh, to us as we uh, unpack it, that you will give us eyes that will be able to see you through these through these scripture passages, and that you give us ears to hear your word, and that uh, you would change us as a result through the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you may be seated. So before I get to explaining Romans chapter 11 and just unpacking that, what does that mean for us today, which there is a lot, I think, that, that, that it's Speaks, into, or speaks much into our lives today and what I think is going on in our nation. But here's what I want to do. I want to first define for you nationalism. This is, this is not a history lesson. This is just, a, I think it's important. Nationalism, according to Anthony Smith, who wrote a book on it, uh, said this, it is the ideological movement for attaining and maintaining autonomy unity, and identity for a population which some of its members deem to constitute an actual or potential nation. That's nationalism. So, so, you know, we live in America, and every single human being in this room, watching on the live stream, you've been shaped by, the, by this country, whether you like it or not. Um, and what makes up this country are uh, just certain ideologies. And, and so the second thing I want to share with you is national identity. National identity flows from his or her sense of belonging, a person's sense of belonging to a state or nation. One's national identity flows out of language, cuisine, skin color, you know, various cultures that make up that nation can shape one's national identity. And here's the other thing that's important to note. Nationalism gives birth to a person's national identity, but one's national identity, remaining, uh, while remaining a product of nationalism, can take on its own personality. Okay, so this is where it's relevant. What we see in America today is, I think, a plurifa of national personalities embodied in different ideologies of different people groups that make up America. And in some ways, it probably, at least to me, seems like our nation is schizophrenic. Doesn't it? Uh, and we're just seeing that, that happen. The creed of, the Amer of American nationalism is found in a document can anybody take a stab at what that document is? Oh, I just gave it away. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, the, the Declaration of Independence. 
which states this in just one line here. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with what? Certain unalienable rights that are among these are, are what? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those are all good things, right? So we celebrated the 4th of July yesterday at the birth of our nation, and there are, some, there are a lot of great things about our nation. Uh, this is one of those statements that's great about our nation. The reality is, is our, you know, our founding fathers wanted this to be true in the country that is now America, but uh, we were, it seems to me that these are things that we've grasped at as a people throughout history and not have, have not been able to fully experience. And the reason, the reason why this is in our Declaration of Independence is because we were made for life. We were made for liberty. We were made for happiness. In our DNA, we're, we're wired for that. But a life that is rooted in a relationship with God. Liberty that can only be experienced through Jesus Christ. Liberty from the bondage of sin. And happiness that can only be found in and through a personal relationship with God and Jesus. Throughout our history, there seemed to be uh, when, when there seemed to be a conflict between our national creed and the laws or behavior of those who were charged with upholding our laws, Americans either went to war over it, that's the Civil War, remember that? Well, not, you don't remember, but you, you learned about it. Uh, they protested against it, like Martin Luther King Jr., or turned to violent means to force a particular ideal of a certain segment or community within our nation, like the Ku Klux Klan, domestic terrorism, you know, those things. And I think what we're seeing in our nation tends to happen when we take our nationalism and we place it on the pedestal of uh, an idol. And I think the danger is for us as the church is to forget where our citizenship primarily lies. We're citizens of the kingdom of God first and American citizens second. The happiness, I think, or, or the happiness that we seek, the joy that we seek, um, the life that we seek, uh, really meant to be experienced in God, but we have a tendency, and I've, I've said this before, we have a tendency the human heart has a tendency to take good things and make them ultimate things. And when anytime we do that, anytime we make something ultimate, like a gift from God, we make it ultimate in our lives, it winds up becoming an idol. You know, America is pretty young when you compare other nations, right? Sometimes we forget that, it, that the reason why America is what it is today is because of our Creator. Job chapter 12, verse 23 says this. He, uh, I don't know if I, I don't, oh yeah, I do. Let's read this together. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. Job recognized that, that, that every nation has a shelf life. That, and that the, the one who puts the expiration date on, uh, on the shelf life of that nation is God himself. 
He gives power to kings, and he removes power from kings. He, give, he raises up nations, and he, and he destroys nations. And there is only one nation, this is where we're getting into Romans 11, there's one nation in the Bible that seems as though it does not have a shelf life. And that nation is Israel. That God, that of all the nations in the world, when you read the Bible, there is one nation that God had made a promise to that he will establish it, he will sustain it, he will prosper it, and it will, it, it, its life as a nation will, will go on forever. And Paul unpacks this in Romans chapter 11. There are a couple promises in the Bible that I want to point you to. There's a, a whole plethora of, of promises in the Bible that refer to Israel, the promises that God will prosper Israel, that he will, he, he will bless Israel. I want to read one of the, well, I'll read two of those. I'll start with Isaiah 14, verse 1. That the Lord, anytime you see Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is God's most personal name, which is what? Yahweh, good job. Uh, Yahweh, which is God's covenant name. This is very important. God's covenant-keeping name. This is his most personal name, and anytime there is a reference to his promise in the Bible, he is referred to uh, everything that I, every place I am aware of as Yahweh. Uh, so for Yahweh will have compassion on Jacob, that's, that's uh, Israel, that's the nation of Israel, or the Hebrew people, and will again choose Israel and will set them in their own land and sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. Do you know who the sojourners are? That's us. That's us. That God, right now, in human history, he is attaching sojourners to his people Israel, like spiritual Israel, which I'll talk about in a second. He is attaching them to Israel. He is taking people out of the nations, people who love pepperoni pizza, uh, uh, fried shrimp, uh, clams, like all the stuff that, that Israel was told not to eat and the Gentiles were allowed to eat. Like, that's us, Gentiles. And I praise God I, uh, for pepperoni pizza. Like, I think it's a good thing. Most of the people don't, but I guess. I don't know. So, but, but we are being grafted into the people of Israel. Like, that's, that's who we are. We're the sojourners. And that season is limited. Like, that's not always going to be the case. But right now, God is bringing in Gentiles. The majority of the church, the majority of people who believed and still believe and believe in presently and will believe in Jesus are Gentiles right now. But there's coming a time where what God did with you and what he did with me by giving us a heart, like a, opening our hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's going to do for a lot of Hebrew people who are going to find their home at some point in Israel, and we're going to be a part of that. That day is still yet in the future. Like what you see now with Israel is, is not the fulfillment of God's promises. Like the most atheistic nation right now I, I, that I'm aware of, or one of them, is Israel. And God said, 
that when I restore Israel, Israel will be a, a nation that has placed her faith and allegiance in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who is Jesus Christ. So here's another passage in Isaiah. So, and just so you know, Isaiah was written to the people of Israel why they were being disciplined by God for worshiping other gods. They weren't in their own land. And um, especially with chapter 60, they weren't. And he says this, Your people shall be righteous, speaking of Israel. Well, how are they going to be righteous? They shall possess the land forever. That's physical land. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. Who's going to do it? God is. And so, so Paul gets into chapter 11, because remember, like in chapter 8 and chapter 9, talked about salvation and what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? How did that happen? I said last week and the weeks before that, that every single person in this room, sitting in this room, who believes in Jesus, has experienced one of the greatest miracles ever, and that is God removed your hard heart, he took your spiritual deadness and made you alive in Jesus, so that when you heard the gospel for the first time, you believed in Jesus. That's Romans 9 and Romans 8. If you missed those sermons, just go on, online, you can listen to them, or just read Romans chapter 8 and chapter 9. It's all there. And so, uh, so that's what we see in this chapter, and this is what Paul is unpacking. So God is going to do this work. And so what I want to look at now is just break down chapter 11 and show you what it's saying, and then also I want to show you why it matters. Like, wh why? Like, what does that mean for tomorrow? What does that mean for your life? So verses 1 through 10, some in Israel believe in Jesus. <laughs> there are Hebrew people who, who believe in Jesus. Paul said this. He says, he asks uh, a rhetorical question. He says, I ask then, verse 1, has God rejected his people? And his answer is, no. No, he hasn't. I like the way the NIV translated um, this, this verse. I don't know if we have it on the next slide. Well, we'll look at it later. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> he has not rejected his people. He's not rejected his people. Why hasn't he rejected his people? Because he's the covenant-keeping God. He said, uh, Paul goes on to say, he says, for I myself am an Israelite. So if, if, if you're looking for an example for what God is doing amongst Hebrew people, look at me, Paul says. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, that's who I am. And in chapter 9, I preached a sermon. I, I preached, it was on May 24th, I preached on Romans chapter 9 where Paul stated this, he said, uh, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. Meaning, in light of Hebrew people, the majority of them rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not, are, not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Meaning, that what makes what makes the people of God the people of God is belief in Jesus Christ. That's really important. So just put that in a file and cabinet somewhere in your brain. We're going to come back to it. But that's really important. Throughout Israel's history, there was always a remnant. Remember I talked about that for those of you who were here for that sermon. There was always a group of people, a believing group of people, 
in the midst of the majority of unbelieving people. So some examples I gave you when I preached on May 24th, Abraham fathered Ishmael, right? And then he and then with Hagar, and then he had another child by the name of Isaac with Sarah. Isaac is an example of a faithful remnant. Isaac and Rebekah had twins by the name of Esau and Jacob. Uh, of the two sons, Jacob is an example of that faithful remnant. Many years after Jacob died, Israel became a nation, uh, and then Israel wound up worshiping other gods, and God told them and warned them, if you do that, I'm going to discipline you as a nation. Paul picks up on that in chapter 11, and he, talk, and he mentions the, a guy by the name of Elijah. How many of you are familiar with Elijah? So Elijah is a really cool dude, I, one of my favorite uh, people in the Bible. He was a prophet when it was really difficult to be a prophet of God. Most of the people did not worship God. They worshiped this God by the name of Baal. And... Uh, and so there's this, part, this, this, this point in his life where he challenged the priests of Baal. And he said, look, let's do this. Let's just have, it was like the first spiritual MMA match <laughs> in the Bible. Like he said, let's, 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 let's see whose God is the real God. So I'll tell you what, get all the people you want to get. Just get all of Israel. Get as many people to see this thing as you could possibly gather together. And... What you can do is we can create an altar. We'll do it twice. You create your altar for Baal and then, and then pour water around it and just kind of, and, and then you can just do the stuff and then call on your God and let, let's see if he, if he is alive, if he is real. And then after that, I'll, make, I'll create a, an altar, I'll erect an altar for Yahweh, for my God, and we'll see if he... They started calling out on Baal, and there was no answer. You know, nothing. And they were expecting that what would happen was that Baal would just... He would consume the altar, or he would consume the offering on the altar. There was no answer. Now, if I was Elijah, I would just watch. I wouldn't open my mouth, because there's like 400 of these guys who were not friendly to anybody who worshipped Yahweh, worshipped God, the God of the Bible. But what did Elijah do? He opened his mouth. He said, maybe you should call a little louder. Maybe he's relieving himself, meaning maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's sleeping. Like, and then they started cutting themselves, and nothing happened. Then it was Elijah's turn. And so they you know, created the altar, and he said, well, let's just pour water over top of it and around it, and just make it totally impossible for, for me to manipulate this thing, or even for... A God, that, any gods that you guys would think of could possibly do something with it. Let's just make it impossible. And so they did that, and what did Elijah do? He, he prayed. He said, God, I'm just asking you you reveal yourself. Show these people who you are. And so what happened was, we're told fire came down from sky. The sky consumed what was on the altar, consumed the altar, consumed everything about it. And, um, and, and then the 400 priests of Elijah got to experience, and God just won, like, God won that day, and Elijah got to experience that. He got to see that firsthand. Then the queen, who was no friend of, of anybody who worshipped Yahweh, said about Elijah, I'm going to kill him. And when Elijah got word of that, do you know what he did? He ran. 
Like it was cool. Like he faced, he was taunting 400 priests of Baal. And then when one queen, one, one lady with a little bit of power threatened to take his life, he ran. He fell, and he went and hid in, in, in a cave. And Paul picks up on this and he said, you know, I mean, think about Elijah. Elijah, while he was in the cave, he, he prayed. He said, you know, I'm, I'm the only prophet left. There's no other prophets. All of Israel, they killed all the prophets. They, they tore down all the places where people would worship you. I'm the only one left. And what did God say to him? He said, I have 7,000 prophets in my name who have not bowed their knee to this, to this false god. And we see that throughout history where God is raising up and calling to himself people. Like right now in America, I know, I know some of you, maybe even most of you possibly, uh, maybe you're watching online here, uh, are discouraged. You're wondering, what's going to happen with my country? What's going to happen with my liberties? What's going to happen with, 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 with the church? And, and we've got to remember, all throughout history, God has had a remnant, and he has sustained that remnant, and he has protected them, and he has guarded them, even, even if it meant uh, the forfeiting of their own lives. Like, we live in a country that is becoming more and more antagonistic towards the church, the true church, followers of Jesus Christ. And you want to know something? It's not going to get better. It's not going to get better. And, and I really feel like we're going to enter into a season where those who really believe in Jesus, not just call him Savior, but really lean into him as Lord, are going to be the ones who, who will be able to sustain whatever season is coming our way. There are people, not just Hebrew people, but Gentile people, who God is doing a work in their hearts. And the future of our nation, in terms of God's plan for the world, is not dependent on who's in politics, but solely on the God who spoke the galaxies into existence. And here's another newsflash, you ready? Uh, when it comes to the church, there have been, every generation, there has been someone or some authority or some government that has tried to annihilate and wipe from, from, from the memory of, of human history the church. And you want to know why they haven't been able to do that? Because ours is not just a king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He rose from the grave because he conquered death. And the Bible tells us he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. And here, here's the encouraging thing about Romans chapter 11. What we're reminded of in Romans chapter 11 is that there is going to be a nation and there is going to be a king who will sit on the throne in that nation and that king is Jesus and all of the, all of the rulers and all of the kings of the earth when he comes again will wail on account of him. We presently enjoy a political, uh, or, or well, we, 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 in, we don't enjoy politics. I don't. I can't stand what's coming out of both parties now. It's just crazy. But uh, and we're entering into a season where, where we're going to get inundated with emails and phone calls about who we're voting for. The reality is, is that uh, America has a shelf life. And the experiment that is America, I think, is 
the best form of government in a, in a fallen world that we could possibly have, but it's still imperfect, and it still has a shelf life. And when the king comes, it's not going to be a republic. It's not going to be a democracy. It's going to be a theocracy. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. There is hope, brothers and sisters. In everything that's happening in our nation, there is reason to hope. Jesus said, listen, he said, he said look, <laughs> there are going to be kings, and there are going to be governors, and there are going to be, and there are going to be law enforcement, and there's going to be all kinds of, of people who will have authority over you who will not like you because of who you represent. And some of you they will kill, but not a hair on your head will perish. And I don't think things are going to get better for us. But I'm not sure that that's bad. And the reason why I'm not sure that's bad, in fact, I know it's not bad, is because, because of what Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, like one of the most encouraging chapters in the Bible. Um, and so Paul, he goes on to say that uh, Israel failed in verses 7 and 8. Israel s failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, he means the same thing that, he, that Paul meant when he wrote uh, chapter 9, where he said that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You, you know how he hardened Pharaoh's heart? He removed the restraints that were keeping Pharaoh from, uh, from getting to that place where he would never believe in God. Like he, re he, he removed those restraints and gave Pharaoh over to the desires of his heart. And, uh, and, and there, throughout Israel's history, he, we see examples of him doing that with, with generations of Hebrew people. Like when Jesus was presented by Pilate, Pilate before the crowds, they were all predominantly... Hebrew people, and Pilate didn't want to crucify him, and so he said to the crowds, what, what do you want me to do with this, this man? And what did they say? Crucify him. And as a result of them rejecting Jesus, do you know what that did for Gentiles like us? It opened up the door, which was already in God's plan, opened up the, the door for us to experience the same salvation that was promised to Abraham. God said to Abraham, I'm going to cause your descendants to be as, you know, as many as the sands of the, of, of, the, of the shore. Like That's how many descendants you're going to have, Abraham. But through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. And right now we're in a season where the nations are being blessed because people from every tribe and every people group are hearing the gospel or will hear the gospel and are believing in him. You are the result of that. Like when you look around, what you see is the tangible evidence that God raises the spiritually dead. When you look up here and you see me, I, I am evidence that God is in the business of raising the spiritually dead. I once had a heart that was rock hard towards God. I wanted nothing to do with, with the God of the Bible, and he had his way with me. July 12th is my anniversary of me walking across that highway and being hit by a car. And July 18th is my anniversary of when God opened my heart and the gospel made sense to me for the first time. 
I am evidence that God is in the business of raising the spiritually dead, and he's doing that with Hebrew people. I shared this story with, uh, with the first service. Uh, I've shared this with you before. But Peruz, my friend Peruz, who, who, who grew up in Iran, uh, could chase his, trace his lineage back to Persia, right? Which that whole area was Persia. Um, and came to the States fleeing the Ayatollah. The whole situation was happening and it happening in Iran that time. And after coming to the United States, heard the gospel and, and, and placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ to the horror of his mother and father. They, wanted him, they didn't want him to have anything to do with Jesus. And then Mitra is another uh, person. So Peruz is a Persian-Iranian-Jewish Christian. Like, that's evidence that God raises the spiritually dead. And Mitra, same thing. She fled to the States and, and uh, traced her lineage back to Persia. And grew up in Iran and heard the gospel and placed her faith and trust in Jesus. And now Mitra is a Persian-Iranian-Jewish Christian. Both parents were blown away by this in a bad way. Like they, they, they thought, you know, potentially they're losing their children. And then they thought, well, we lost them to Christianity. We might as well introduce the two of them together. And they, their parents introduced them, and they got married, Peruz and Mitra. And they had children who they raised up in their home who believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. God is in the business of raising the spiritually dead, and he's doing that with Hebrew people also, as he is doing it with Gentiles, and I'm almost just about out of time. And I, so second point, Israel's rejection is temporary. So here's the good news. Like, like everything is moving towards a, a, a point where God is going to make all things new. I, I told you this uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, that somebody asked me, do I think the end is coming, or is, do I think the end is soon? I said, yes, it's sooner than when Jesus first said it was coming. Like, when, like, we're closer to what we learn about through Jesus and Isaiah, the book of Revelation, than we ever have been before. So now you know. But does that, does that mean that Jesus is coming tomorrow? I don't know. Does that mean that he's coming 10 years from now? I'm not sure. 100 years from now? Who knows? But the fact is, he's coming. And Paul wants us to know that that the season of Gentiles being grafted into the olive tree, which is Israel, will come to an end. And what he did with you and what he did with me, he will do with many people who can trace their lineage, their genetic heritage, back to Abraham. He will do it. There will be an awakening and a revival in the nation of Israel and around the world where people who, 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 are, who are Jewish will embrace Jesus as the Messiah. And when that happens, the Bible tells us Jesus will come. In fact, there's a prophecy, that, and Jesus said this. He said, when I tell you the truth, until that day comes when you all cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Until, that, until you say that, then will come the end. Then I will come and I will set up my kingdom and I will balance the scales of justice. And so Paul starts off in verse 11, and i got to breeze through this. Did they stumble in order that they might fall? It's a rhetorical question. No. I like the way the NIV words, these words, I tried to point this out earlier, but did they stumble so as to fall? And then they added two words that are not in the Greek, beyond recovery. Meaning it's Israel is the hope of Israel becoming its 
uh, its own nation beyond recovery? Absolutely not. God has a plan for Israel. But don't misunderstand. God is not going to turn, an eye, turn his eye or turn his face away from Israel's unbelief. Like what happened in the, four, in, in the 50s after World War II, I do not believe is the fulfillment of Scripture. That day is still coming. Israel still rejects Jesus as the Messiah. They are still as far away from embracing Jesus as the Messiah as they were in that courtyard when Pilate presented Jesus in front of the masses and they screamed crucify. But there is a day coming where God will open their hearts and they will believe. And when, and when that day happens, Israel as Israel was meant to be will, will, will exist. And that is a nation whose king is, is the Messiah, whose Lord is Jesus. And I'm encouraged by that. What that means is that God is going to turn this mess around. Paul said, you know, now am I speaking? He says, now I am speaking to you Gentiles. (laughs) Don't get arrogant. Like there is no room for anti-Semitism in the church at all. We stand on those who have gone before us. We are grafted into the promises of Abraham. It is because Abraham was born and God raised him up that we have a Savior who has rescued us, who's redeemed us. And Paul said, so I live out my life. I live it out as a way of, to, to make my fellow kinsmen jealous, he says. He says, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles in so much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Well, what does he mean by that? Um, Ken Hughes made a, uh, commented on this verse, and I, he said it better than I could say it, so I just want to read it for you. He said, Individual believers and the corporate body of Christ are meant to lead lives that radiate such reality that unbelieving Jews will be provoked to spiritual jealousy. Meaning, people, not just unbelieving Jews, but your neighbors should see your life and say, You know what? There's something different about that person. I don't know what it is, but I want it. I want it. Hughes goes on to say in his commentary, he said, are the Jews we meet provoked to jealousy or just provoked? We Christians ought to be so alive, so full of Christ, and so full of love for one another that Jews and Gentiles say to themselves, they have something I don't have, and I must have it. That's what Paul is getting at here. He said, so don't get puffed up with pride. We are who we are simply by the grace of God. And then he says in verse 22 something that we really need to hear. He says, note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you provided you continue in this kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Now, what is he saying there? And bringing this to a close, what is he saying? What, why does this matter? He said, um, don't confuse your national identity with who you really think or your own religion. Don't trust in your own strength or your own religiosity or what you're able to do or what you're not able to do as, as the guarantee for you to get into heaven. That Israel made that mistake. They, they confused their national identity and the promise that was made with Abraham 
with who they were as the people of God. And Paul said, don't, don't make that same mistake. The church in every nation, but because especially in our nation, the danger for us is to confuse our nationality with our true citizenship. And our true citizenship is that we are citizens of the kingdom of God if you're a Christian. And we've been placed in America to be light and salt in a nation that is really dark. Okay, in the 70s, Billy Graham said something that, that, that still haunts me. And he said, if God does not judge America for her sin, then he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Every institution that has been founded on the principles, um, biblical principles, eventually turns its back on God. You know, Harvard was known for sending missionaries out into them and preparing pastors when Harvard was founded. Princeton University did the same. So did Yale. In Yale's library is all of a, a collection of uh, all the works of Jonathan Edwards, who was one of the greatest theologians America ever produced. And um, now they're, they're dark institutions. Yale, Harvard, Princeton University will offer scholarships to people in third world countries, to the pastors in third world countries, and say, if you come to our university, if you come to our seminary, we'll pay everything for you. And then they send them back into the country not even believing the, 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 who Jesus claimed to be, not even believing the Bible is the word of God. So give an institution long enough, it will turn its back on God. And America's doing the same thing. And that's okay. We are citizens of the kingdom of God first, citizens of this nation second. So you know what that means for us? That means we're liberated. You know how we're liberated? We don't have to worry about who's going to, who, who's going to rob us of our, lie, of our life. COVID, uh, some governor, uh, a president, a king, an emperor. Jesus said, some of you they will kill, but not a hair on your head will perish. So go out and be salt and light in, in the place that I've placed you. And the place that he's placed us is in Cheyenne, Wyoming, in America. And we've been liberated to go and live out the gospel so that when people see our lives and they hear our speech, they say, I want that. Or they say, I don't want anything to do with that. Put that person as far away from me as humanly possible. Either way, we can respond knowing that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. And even though they take this life, not a hair on my head will perish. Metaphorically, right? That's the gospel. All right. I'm out of time, but I'm going to pray. And if you're here and you don't know who Jesus is and you're trying to figure out this, who Jesus is, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And what that means is you really believe who Jesus claimed to be. And you're leaning into that and you're believing it. You don't have to do anything to earn it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Romans chapter 11. Thank you that you will, that you will set up the 
your nation Israel, I mean, believing Israel, you will set that nation up and we will be a part of it. There will be one people, one people under the, the, the lordship of Jesus Christ. One people. You're going to do that. And we can't wait for that day when you make all things new. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.